journey. I may face on our journey. I am not afraid. I am not afraid. Of what sickness can do to me. Of what sickness can do to me. Because by your stripes. Because by your stripes. I am healed. I am healed. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. Of financial lack. Of financial lack. Because all my needs. Because all my needs. Because all my needs. Because all my needs. Are met. Are met. According to your riches. According to your riches and glory. glory. Therefore, Therefore, I live out of your pocket and not mine. mine. Hallelujah. And I cannot be overcome. And I cannot be overcome by depression. By depression. Because you have gifted me. Because you have gifted me with your peace. With your peace that passes all understanding. That passes all understanding. And I won't. And you won't take it back. And you won't take it back. I am an overcomer. I am an overcomer. Because you overcame. Because you overcame. And I cannot be stopped. And I cannot be stopped. And I won't be stopped. And I won't be stopped. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. Because you're a good. Because you're a good. 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 Father. father. You're a father to the fatherless. You're a father to the fatherless. And no one has to go fatherless. And no one has to go fatherless. Thank you, Thank you. All right, give her a hand. Y'all can be seated, and we will go on. Oh, Big Al, can you do me a favor? I think I'm going to come down there. Can you move that podium over here for me? Thank you, Big Al. All right. Okay, so again, like I said, what I'm about to say this morning is important. I want you to do whatever you have to do to pay attention. Um, Because this is Something that uh, is often left behind uh, in our thinking, in our uh, being conscious of what's going on. How many of you know that life is a is a puzzle, right? Life is a puzzle, and you got many different pieces uh, that go together to make up that puzzle or to make life work, right? And most of us don't understand or don't know that because we've never been taught that, right? So we got, you got pieces to the puzzle of life that are missing that you have not, that you don't even know that are missing because nobody told you that they were missing, right? Uh, so, uh, and I, I say this to people a lot. This is something that I've learned. I've learned that when you don't have enough information and you're trying to make a decision about something and you've done everything you can to try to compile the information or whatever season of life that you're in, if you don't have enough information to um, uh, to make a, a good decision, the best decision you're going to make is a bad decision. Right? There's sometimes you don't have a choice but to make a bad decision because you only got so much information. Right? So let, let, let me give you an example. Let's say a few people are trying to put something together, right? You're trying to put something together. Um, I'll give you an example. When, when we first moved here and we built our apartment, 
uh, Brother Cooper helped us. Uh, he built the cabinets and we were hanging the cabinets. And was, oftentimes I would ask him questions about how we're going to do this or how we're going to do that. And so then he manifest these tools that I knew absolutely nothing about. Right? So I didn't know anything about the tools. He knew about the tools. I don't know about the tools. And I did a message with one of them one time about these big clamps that he had. Right? So if, so if, if, if you take me and somebody else and they're trying to hang them cabinets up, my thinking would have said if we drill, we get big enough screws and push them into the wall through the cabinet, they ought to stay up. Right? That's my thinking. And so if I got another person in there who does not understand or know what he knows, then us two get together and we still going to come up with a bad decision. We're going to come up with a bad outcome. We're going to put screws and try to get, well, you know, they got the sheetrock screws and that ought to hold them. You know, that's not going to get the job done, right? And so he understood, you know, he's got these certain kind of screws and they're supposed to go in there like this and that, and that'll make it stay on the wall. But if you don't have the information that somebody else has, you can have two, three, four, five, or six people in there, and all of y'all, if you don't have the necessary pieces to the puzzle, you're going to make a bad decision, you're going to make a bad move. Because yeah. that's all the information you got. You don't have any choice but to make a bad move. So what I've learned in my life is, is that sometimes there is that God will release information at certain stages of your life to allow you to progress from one stage to another stage. Right? So sometimes the information can pass right in front of you and you won't get it. Yeah. Right? Because it's not the time for you to get it. Yeah. But you can be sitting there and God God pushes you. He, he gasses you up and pushes you from one place to the other by the release of information. Right? So God releases information to you. The choice is up to you. Do you crave information from God? Do you want to hear from God? Do you want instruction from God? Are you interested in instruction from God? You know, sometimes there are people that we find in our life that you can give them information and try to help them out. You can give them some information and, and they, they don't do nothing with the information you give them. Because the information is not of value at the time or there is some real stupid working at work there, right? Legitimate stupid at work there and they just not trying to do better. Because they're content with the stupid. This is, I'm not trying to be mean, it's just a real thing. Sometimes people can be content with the stupid. And so it all of the helping you're trying to do to them, until one day when they are open to moving out of stupid and getting to the place of, of winning, then they crave the information. Now, you can crave information but not be able to handle information. Okay. Right? So you, you have to be open for information. So now I'm open for information. But if I give, if, if I get information, I may not be able to handle it. Jesus told, uh, uh, the disciples, there's certain things I want to say to you. Even Paul said certain things I want to say to you, but you can't handle it right now. There's certain pieces of information that I want to release to you. You're not ready for it right now. Right? And so, uh, it would be overwhelming to you. That's why God releases pieces of your, releases pieces of your destiny. Instruction going towards your destiny. You get pieces of it. Right? You don't get it all at one time. You can't handle it all at one time. Right? It'll overwhelm you. If God says that you're going to do this and that and you're going to be in this situation and that situation, you know, uh, and, and, and you feel like, God, I wouldn't, I can't do that. I can't handle that. I don't know what to do with that. He said, I know. That's why I'm not going to tell you about that. I'm going to give you the good picture and I'm going to show you yourself doing good and life being wonderful. And so you know that it's God. He released that piece of information to you. He don't tell you about the hell that you're going to have to go through in order to get to that good. Because you can't handle that. Right. And so uh, understand something that he did, though, release certain things to us. 
Right? He did release certain pieces to it. So in the pieces of the puzzle of life, the main piece is the Lord. In the puzzle of life, trying to get where you want to be. Uh, by way of his identity as the Father, knowing his Son as the Savior and the Holy Spirit and his Word. So the main puzzle piece is God in all of these various forms. And knowing that he's your father, having confidence in his identity as your father, that's crucial to you in life. Knowing that God is your father. If a person does not have a father, they have no origin. You have, you don't, you don't, you have, you, you have to come from somewhere. If you don't have a father, there is no origin. The seed of what you are comes from the father. Right? So you have no father, you don't have no origin. It's crucial that you know, uh, him, God as the father. You must know that he sent his son Jesus to save you. You got to know that piece, right? You have to also understand that he gave you the Holy Spirit to seal up all of the cracks that you got. Right? He sent the Holy Spirit to seal you up, to fill you up, to seal you up, to, to, to be the software in your hard drive. You can't run your computer without the proper software. Even if it's, even if it's cloud-based or if it's online, it has to be software to run on your hard drive. So, so the Holy Spirit is the software that you run. And the, the Word is the programs. Right? So you have to have God's Word. You have, God is the centerpiece. And everything that you need from there, all the other pieces are surrounding it. Without God, you can never complete the puzzle of your life. That's why people sit around forever, you know, uh, wondering why they can't put the puzzle of life together because they don't have the centerpiece. Or there's all of these pieces missing that they don't even know. The Father, the, the, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God will let, will let you know that you are missing pieces. That's why your stuff is not adding up. That's why your stuff's not coming together. If you don't get God on your side, you'll be floating around missing pieces for the rest of your life. Now, now watch this. If we get off track of the Word, now this is the one I want to talk about right in this moment, and we're going to move around to some of the others. If we get off track of the word, we get off track from our destiny. If we get off track of the word, we get off track from our destiny. If we get off track from the word, we get off track from our destiny. Uh, the scripture says in Psalms 119, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. So when I, when I get off track of the word, I lose the light that lights the path of where God's trying to take me to, of where I'm supposed to wind up or end up. I cannot, I cannot be letting the word slip. Meaning that when I come to church, I, well, I come to church to hear a good message. We come to church once, twice a week, maybe three times we got something else going on. So you show up and say, I heard a good message. At the church. Pastor preached a good message. One of the pastors preached a good message. And so you heard it. Oh, it was good. Well, what did you do with it? Come on now. Besides, go around telling somebody it was a good message. Good message ain't going to help you. Oh, it was a good message. But you forgot about the good message. Hmm. Only thing you know is it was a good message. What they say? <laughs> it was good. <laughs> what you mean is that in the moment, it ministered to you in that moment. But what about the other moments when the devil show up? Because the Bible says as soon as the word was sown in their heart, Satan came immediately after that good message to try to take it away from you. 
Satan don't want you to meditate on the message. He wants you to be a good Christian and go to church and say, man, I used to, man, when I grew up, that's why I didn't have too much confidence in church. I had good reason not to have confidence in church. Because when I, go, I hear people talk about, ooh, church show was good. They, they were singing. Did you hear such such sing up and out? They show can't sing. <laughs> singing. Boy, I tell you what, it show felt good. We're going to be back over there next week. You ought to come. This church is good. Church is good. You can't tell me nothing. You ain't no kind of example. I don't want to be like you. You're a hypocrite. Right? So listen, church being good ain't enough. That ain't ain't what Jesus came to do. He came to build the church in you. With a constant service going on 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So that people can come to you and get fed the message that he gave to you. Amen. Amen. But, but see, see, this is, again, this is one of the things that has constantly frustrated me about church. I'm not talking about the cross church exclusively, right? Or not even, whatever. I think we got a good church. I think we have better handle on this than most folks do. But I'm talking about the body of Christ, period, man. Yeah. We, we, we interested in coming, you know, you come to church. This, this church is not, you don't come to church because there's a bunch of nice people in there. That's, they got plenty of places where nice people are not going to cuss you out. Or take your money and stuff like that. But you come to church so that you can, you be around the, you need the accountability and the fellowship of the believers. You need to hear the word of God. You need to be strengthened. But, but pe- people have made this example over and over and over and over and over and over again. You do not feed your physical body one time a week. What makes you think that you can feed yourself spiritually one time a week? That's why you can't get victory right there. We don't have to go no further than that. You do not spend enough time with God. That's why you can't stand up when something comes against you because you don't spend enough time with God. And I'm saying you, me too. In my moments that I I get too busy, when I get distracted, right, and I lose sight of the word of God, when I get off track of the word, my destiny is being delayed. Because the, the light has went off in my path. I don't even know sometimes that there is a path. Me, oh yeah, there's like Pastor Bean was saying, oh yeah, me and God weren't going somewhere. We were going somewhere, weren't we? I forgot about that because I got off into this other stuff. But oh yeah, God, let's keep going where we were going. Let's look at Genesis chapter 3, verse, uh, starting verse 1. Trick number 1. All really the devil has to do is deceive you yep. to get your focus off, to make you think that you, uh, that, uh, uh, to put a seed of doubt in your head about what God said. No, uh, Genesis 3, 1 says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say, what did he come after? He came after the word, then come after the woman. I just got to take the word from him. If I get the word from him, you all messed up. Did God really say? Now what is he trying to do? He's trying to, he's trying, in taking away the word, it doesn't matter if the word gets taken away or you leave it behind, the word is absent. It's not there. 
So he, can, so he comes to take it away. You leave it on the pew talking about it was church was good. But what, what, what's the word? What, what, what God say to you? Well, I left it at the church where it was good at. <laughs> so, you know, really, we start, start taking a tally and we're going to do that this year. We got, we're going to some things we're going to, we're going to challenge you with this year. We need to read our Bibles for a time every day. We need to have prayer time every day. If I went through the room and started asking people how many times you pray a week, they're going to tell you, well, we prayed on Sunday. Did we? Did we? Did we really pray today? Have we prayed yet? We worship. I prayed for the start of the service. So you really can't count today. We worship. We heard the word. So now you got a big fat zero. <laughs> big fat zero right there in the prayer column. Zero. But I did pray for my food. That don't count. <laughs> that don't count. We can't give you credit for that. This is not kindergarten. Amen. So listen, the absence, if, if the word is a lamp to your feet, light to your path, that's why you see where you and God are going. And when you remove the word out of the way, you, you delay in destiny. You get off track from destiny. And you, listen, you, your destiny is such a big part of you. Your destiny is calling you, is drawing you, is pulling you. So when you get off track from destiny, that breeds frustration. When you get off track from destiny, that, that breeds, that makes make you frustrated. Because you know something ain't right. I should be. This should be. Right? And so what is it? There are should be's in the word of God. Right? Just like we talked about the other day. The Bible says it has many things to say about the poor, but it doesn't say that I have to be one of them. So when things are off financially, that's why you get frustrated. This shouldn't be. As a, as a, as a child of God, it shouldn't be this way. Right? Uh, any kind of things that go outside or out of the, uh, out of line with the word of God, it always breeds trouble because it shouldn't be. And that's why it don't work. Right? It should be what he said that it is. So here comes the devil. He says the serpent was more crafty. Now understand something. He said he was crafty. He was tricky. Right? He's not a dummy. He's not, he's not, not he, he's good at his job because he's done it for so long. So what did he do? Trick number one. Did God really say? Came to challenge the word. Did he really say? And that's the same thing he does to you. We have at this church you're gonna be fired up, challenged, encouraged. You're gonna you're gonna leave out of here like, man, I bought that for a minute. I can't do anything according to Christ who strengthens me. But then when you get out to church, the devil gonna start telling you, is that the, the preacher just be excited? Yeah, you can't really do anything. Look right now, we got bills up in here. He just told you, okay, he told you, you got a good word, blessings gonna come your way, and I'll let you believe that, and this, that, and the other. Here you over here with these bills. You know, your kids ain't acting right, your marriage is all jacked up. Did God really say? Did God really say? Because you can get in the presence of God. I've seen it so many times, people get in the presence of God, and you see them touched spiritually, and you can see from the outward manifestation, sometimes they start crying. You can see the presence of God on them, whatever they even say it, right? So then the devil wants to make you think, did God really touch it? Because he's crafty. 
It's more crafty than any other wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? But the woman and God did have an encounter. The woman did have instructions from God. They got a relationship with God. It's evident God came walking through that. God made them both. They got a relationship with God, but because the devil's sneaky, he comes in and says, I don't care if you got a relationship with God. (laughs) Slither through there. (laughs) And so what happens is he uses the same tools that God used. What makes us buy the devil's words, after all, they're just words, the devil's words over God's words? He used the same thing. God God gave you words. He made you promises. This is so. And so the devil came back with more words to refute the promises. Mm -hmm. Right? You have to make a choice. You have to make a choice. As to whose words you're going to believe. Because the power comes forth and is manifested to the belief of whose ever words you believe. When you believe the devil, then that gives his words power. That's right. When you believe God, that gives his words power. Right? So you say, well, I'm just not a person that has real strong faith. Yes, you are. Your faith is just real strong in the devil. Come on. Everybody got faith. Yeah. Every man is given the measure of faith. You got a belief system in there. You're going to believe something. That's right. But you have to make up your mind which one you're going to believe. You're going to believe God or you're going to believe, you're going to believe the devil. Which one? Mm-hmm. Which one? And so be- your belief in God, just because God says something does not mean that it won't be tested. This, we can, man, we can kind of camp out here. We don't have to move real far from this right here. God told them what to do what to touch, what not to touch, what to eat, what to, he gave them instructions. Right? He didn't leave them alone, he left them instructions, but the devil came to refute the instructions that God gave. He does the same thing with us, he gives us instructions. She chose. Why did she choose? Because of the connection to the flesh. Right? So we're human beings with a connection to the earth, that's why we walk on the ground. We're not floating up in the air. We're flesh beings. She had a connection to the earth because she came from there. That's where the roots from as a, as a human came from there. So that was that connection. The Bible says that, that uh, let's, let's, let's read it down here. Verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit, tree, fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took and ate of it. Right? So what was it? It was something within her that made that connection. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and pride of life. Those three things. Pride of life, I'm going to get wisdom. Lust of the eyes, good for food. It was pleasing. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and pride of life. The Bible says that, that we sin when we are enticed by our own lust. It says that in the book of James, we read it last week, chapter 1 something. Look it up. We, we are, we sin when we get enticed. We drawn away from God. So that was, the, because of her human nature, said, listen, this, the, the human part of me wants this. But the God in me told me I should not have that. 
So now a choice has to be made. This is not anything new what you deal with every day. The human part of you says, I want this. But the God part of you said, don't do that. So here you're faced with a choice of which one you're going to obey. Are you going to obey your flesh or are you going to obey the Lord? Yep. It's interesting that this situation of the fall that we describe, it happened because of food. It happened because of food. Because the, the people would not she would not control herself. I mean, I hope it was good. <laughs> but I think next to next to money, I think our next strongest thing that we can get to is food. Right? We don't want to fast. No, it ain't about no fasting. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm fixing, to, I'm fixing to stir up the church mess right now. Because at church, we're all about fellowshipping. Who gonna bring the fried chicken? Right? Who gonna bring, in our case, what, what, what we eat around here all the time? We eat a lot of barbecue. Right? Who, who gonna bring the pies? Who gonna bring that? I'm gonna bring it. I'm gonna bring it. Ooh, this show was good. It was wonderful, magnificent. You don't play number six. Right? You don't play number six. Right? And understand, God had, there were certain times where God said, I want y'all to come together, you're gonna have these feasts, and you're gonna eat these sweets. Right? So God is not anti-food. Matter of fact, he told them that the land, uh, that he was gonna take them to was flowing with milk and honey. That sounds good. Right? Sounds tasty, right? So, he's not anti-food, but he is anti when, you know, when you don't have self-control, he's against you not having self-control. It's a certain time you're supposed to say no. It's a certain time you're just supposed to say no. So here's the situation right here, but she did not let the, she did not yield to the spiritual part of her and let the flesh make a bad decision for her. And the husband was both, and Bob says he was there with him, so he can't put all the blame on her. They made this decision to do this together. Right? So, we face with these same things every day. Are we going to yield to the spiritual part of us that may not be the thing that we want to do or may not feel good, right? But we want to go with that because there's temporary satisfaction in that thing, right? And guilt there's the next person. Why don't we have time to read our Bibles and to, and, and to pray? Why don't we have time? And some of it is, what, as human beings, we can call it a legitimate excuse, but it'll never fly in the face of God. Right? When we get off track from the Word of God, we get off track from our destiny. Yep. So whatever it is, whether it's something that we like other than praying or other than reading, we listen, you don't have to spend all day and night up in the Word of God praying and reading. A big improvement would probably be five minutes for most of us. I just don't have time to be studying my Bible. I don't even understand when I read. Look, find one scripture in there and ask God to reveal that to you. Don't despise small beginnings. Find a starting place. Amen? So again, there are many... There's, life is a mystery. 
and we're never going to fully find out or have a full life without these certain pieces being brought together. God being the centerpiece or the corner piece, as Jesus described it. To be in the head of the corner. We're never going to be able to figure it out. Now there are, there is something major that happened. At a certain time in our Christian history, that is the cornerstone of our Christianity, that people miss by a mile, consistently. They live without the importance of this event. And we're nearing into uh, the time that we celebrate that, and we limit it to Christmas trees and Santa Clauses. Now, I'm down for Santa Claus. We were discussing last night how to get one in here for the kids. <laughs> so we can't put the blame on Santa Claus. We can't put the blame on Christmas trees. We can't put the blame on Christmas gifts. We put the blame on you not making the time to stay consistent in your walk with God. Yep. Let's shift gears here. and I'm going I'm to I'm speed ahead, and then I'm going to go back to the beginning. And I'm going to try to get as much of this done today as I can, and then we'll pick up the rest of it next week. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. So I'm going to leave a gap. I'm going to jump from where I am and go to another place, and then I'm going to come back and fill in the gap. So it's going to look like it's two different sermons, but it's going to be one. I'm just going to leave the connector out and come back to the connector. I don't know if no preacher ever did that. If that's a star, but that's how I'm going to do it right now. <laughs> you can't do that. Well... Y'all wouldn't let me preach in the first place. My name is Rudolph, the red-nosed preacher. I was not allowed in the preacher games. Okay. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now watch this. This this is going to say some things about you that we leave in church all the time. Now these are good scriptures, but I don't really understand them. And I'm just, that's why I'm just going to leave them in church and go home and be miserable. Now watch these hope-filled scriptures here. <clears throat> now to him who, by and consequence of, and I'm reading Amplified Classic for this version. Now to him who, by and consequence of, the action of his power that is at work within us. Did you even know that there was power at work in you? Did we know that? Matter of fact, I asked the question, is there any power at work in you? There may not be none working in you. It ain't because that he didn't he, he, he didn't give it to us. It just might not be at work in you. Yeah, come on. Now unto him who by in consequence of the action of his power that is at work within us. So there is some power working in there on the inside. Maybe you're just not releasing it out. Is able to carry out his purpose. Oh, God gave us his power to carry out his purpose. So you can't be a proponent or an advocate or somebody that is in favor of the purposes of God, but deny the power of God that's supposed to be at work in you. We went over that to camouflage Christianity, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. You can't be, you can't say I'm about God's purpose, but you don't, you're not concerned about finding out about the power that is used to enforce and work the purpose. To carry out his purpose and do super abundantly. Right? Super, not just abundantly, but far abundantly, far in front of abundantly, far and over and above all that we dare ask or think, infinitely beyond our highest prayers and desires, thoughts, hopes, or dreams. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus 
throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So the Bible says that there is some, some power at work on the inside of us that's beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, hopes, or dreams. There's something that you can't, your imagination can't even engulf. That's at work on the inside of you. But yet you go home after you leave out of church and ain't no power, you ain't releasing no power to work on nothing. And I'm going to tell you something, it was a big to-do to make this happen. Listen, man, listen, let me, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me tell you something. Before I was a Christian, when I was out in the world, and we were hustling and doing all the other kind of stuff, it was a purpose. Purpose was we were going to make money and live a fast life. So then when I came to church, and I found out that, that Jesus was real, man, this God stuff is real. There was this same intensity to to infect people with this change, get people saved, teach people that, hey, look, we ought to be trying to get people saved. We ought to be pursuing God's uh, causes. We ought to be pursuing God's agenda. And it was a fire. And then when I came around the church, people was like, man, y'all ain't really got a whole lot of fire in here. Not a lot of fire in the church. And I, 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 Christians were different than what I thought they would be. This time. When I was younger, I knew they wasn't about what they said they was about. Most of them. Most of, most of them I meet. So then you don't want to be a part of that. So then when you come and I say, well, there's a lot of nice people and they mean well. But these, when I start finding out about these promises, I'm like, man, this, a lot of people in church don't even believe this. They don't even believe, and, and this was wrote in the Bible. You say, well, that's one, one scripture, man. Listen, you know me better than that. You know, I'm not going to leave you with one scripture. Come on. You know, I'm fixing to unload all clips in here. I'm fixing all over the place. <laughs> but I was, I was shocked to see that the church people was not, was not into this. That they're, listen, man, there's there's a cause. And when I read these stories about David and Goliath, why did David face Goliath? Because he was in covenant with God. And God was a, the spirit force that gave David this superabundant power to slay this giant that the whole rest of the church was scared to deal with. Pastor, yeah, it wasn't the church of the children of Israel. Stop messing with me. You know the point I'm trying to make. So everybody else was scared to deal with him. And David says, believe that there was some power to be had in order for him to do what seemed impossible. Super abundantly impossible. So David allowed the power of God to work through him. He wasn't the only one that allowed the power of God to work through him. Elijah, Elisha, Abraham. Isaac, Jacob, full of people all over the Bible that allowed the power of God to work through them. So when we read about it in the Bible and we say that the Bible is supposed to be true, we come against anybody who will say that the Bible is not real and true. The Christian will say, no, that's not true. The Bible is true. But if you're a Christian saying that's not right and the Bible is true, how come you don't believe it? 
If the Bible's true, how come, and you've been a Christian and you take that attitude, how come you don't believe it? Because it's not enough just to say it. If you believe it, Paul said, I come to you not just with excellency of man's speech, but with a demonstration of what I'm reading and I'm preaching. I'm demonstrating what I, I read and what I preach. I had a conversation with some business people this week. Two different people. And both of them were around liquor. Let me explain. So I went to go seek advice, some business advice from these people who own these restaurants. One of them was the owner, one of them was the manager. One of them was a large one. Both of them, one of them was very successful. And so I, the thing I found strange was I sat in the room with them and one of them, their office was in the liquor closet. You say, Pastor, you were in the liquor closet receiving advice from somebody uh, uh, who sells liquor and it wasn't a Christian person? Yeah, because it's hard for me to find Christian people who really get out and do what I read in the Bible. Come on. It's very difficult for me to find that. So what Christians like to do is talk about stuff. Other people get out there and do. And so what happens is the Bible describes certain criteria that you have to meet and then you get a certain outcome. That's why these people are getting these outcomes, even though they may not see it in the Bible. They're doing it and it's going to work out for them whether they read it or not. So I sit down and I give advice, and, and, and not only did they give, give me advice, but from something that people would have seemed strange, they're encouraging and almost prophesying to me in a liquor closet. So then we sat and meet with the next man out eating dinner, and the next man comes, and I said, I noticed something. I said, because uh, I'm still trying to figure out certain things. I said, I noticed you don't have no kids working in the kitchen. No kids in the kitchen. I can see how every time I go to restaurants, I'm trying to learn and pick up everything. This is gringos. You don't have no kids working in the kitchen. And so uh, this guy just happened to be the, the main manager that came over, right? And so he says, well, we let everybody fill out an application for whatever job they want. We don't discriminate. He made sure he put that out. He don't know who I am, right? <laughs> and so he said, most of them, after they start going through the training, they see that it's not for them. And so they asked me to be a, a hostess or a busboy. Right, the younger people want hostess or busboy. And so this man goes on for 45 minutes at my table talking to me and telling me all of the, you know, the, and the simplest forms of their systems and how they do stuff. And then he, he gets me with this one. I don't tell the man who I am, what I do. I didn't pray in tongues. I didn't have my Jesus shirt on, which I still need to get. But the man tells me, he says, listen, I don't know what you believe, but I believe when I interview a person, I believe that God shows me who I'm supposed to hire. Come on. The man don't know I'm a preacher, none of that stuff. The man sitting there telling me that. And so, and the landscape behind the man is the bar. We're sitting here over here at this table and the bar is over there and this man's standing right here so I see the liquor bottles in the back. So again, I'm in some place to where most people would not find advice but God's giving me advice. Then spent 45 minutes with me and my wife telling us, filling in gaps of stuff that we need to know. This is not the way that it should be. We have the word of God and instead of doing so much talking about it, there should be more demonstration right. than there is conversation. 
In church, we're long on conversation and very short on demonstration. This is what I, in my 20-some years of church, this is what I've seen. Very long on conversation, very short on demonstration. If God is so good, why are you so sad? Somebody said this. Uh, 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 pastor Richard Rodriguez, the church that we got saved in, uh, I'll still call him my pastor now, or one of them. But he said this, he told a story of a little kid, and the little kid said, asked the mom, said, Mom, how, how big is God? And she told him, said, God is, he's, you know, he said, was he, is he bigger than the house? He said, yeah. Was he bigger than the city? Is he bigger than the neighborhood? Is he bigger than, yeah. He, God is bigger than the world. He's bigger than the universe. And the little boy said, hmm. He's bigger than the universe. Now watch this. Everybody guard your throat. If God is so big and he lives in us, why isn't he sticking out all over? Did you hear what I just said? If God is so big and he lives inside of us, why isn't he sticking out all over? If, as, if God is as good as we say that he is in church, why is there not more demonstration amongst the, the Christian folks? And I would propose to you that church can also be a safe place to hide. It can be a safe place to hide. Because people are genuinely interested in your well-being and in your welfare. And so we love you. I mean, hey, we love you. We're glad to see you. You are here. But we don't go home with you. We don't know if you're praying. We don't know if you're reading. We don't know if you're, you, you're confessing that you, that God's going to destroy the mountains in front of you. We don't know that. Only thing we know is that you're here and you're saying amen. But I would propose to you this morning, church is not supposed to be a place where you come and hide. Come on. It's supposed to be a place where you come and gas up and go do exploits. It's not God's intention for us to come in here and then and for us, our encounter and everything we experience in here to stay in here. He, he's, he's gassing you up in here so you can take him out there. Amen. But a lot of us leave God right here. Do you know that they, they say in most of the penitentiaries, because people, they got a lot of programs that give away Bibles in penitentiaries. And they say most of the people, uh, well, a large number, I ain't going to say most. It just says quite enough of them for this to happen. Is that they keep a, bo- a box at the exit of the penitentiary, some ministries do. And if the person doesn't want their Bible on, upon leaving, they just, they just leave the, the, box, the Bible in the box. And they walk out. So a person say, they call that, you ever heard the term jailhouse Christianity? Anybody ever heard that? Raise your hand. Jailhouse Christianity, you heard of that before? So if the definition of jailhouse Christianity means that God is only good while you're in the jailhouse, or God is only good while you're or significant while you're in that place, then if you leave God's presence at church, that means you got church house Christianity. We can do that, can't we? Can we do that? If you leave the presence of God in church, that means you got church house Christianity. Now, your house at home is built out of the same type of sheetrock. 
The same carpet. The, your furniture is made out of the same materials as these pews. They may be crafted differently. But I want you to understand that God didn't intend for you to leave him in this house. He wants to go to the other house that you live at too. We're not to leave him. This is not about church. And and listen, this is how I understand God. I'm, I'm your pastor. This is how I understand God. There was nothing, nothing about church that made me want to be a part of it until I met Jesus. Nothing about church made me want to be a part of it until I met Jesus. Oh, now I got a reason to go to church. And I haven't left since I found Jesus. But before Jesus, nothing about church appealed to me. Because there was too much hypocrisy. People didn't know anything about God. And I always thought because they said people called church the house of God. I always thought you should at least be able to find God in his house. But every time I go around the people, the only thing they know how to do is say amen and listen to everything that the preacher said and echo what he said and didn't know anything for themselves. I was not interested in that. I'm interested in Jesus. I'm going to make one more incision before I get ready to stop this morning. One more small cut. And this is something that you have to ask yourself. We're talking about putting the pieces of the puzzle of your life together. We'll make one more cut. This is not to condemn you or to be angry with you. This is about your own personal self-discovery right now. This is a question for you, you to answer for yourself. How interested are you really in God? How interested are you really in God? You have to ask, I want you to ask yourself that question. Not that you don't believe in God, not that you don't love God, I'm not saying that, but how interested are you in God and in God's business if you never spend any time with him outside of church? That's a legitimate question. Pastor Ben, can I ask that question? That's a legitimate question. How interested are you really in the Lord if you do not spend any time with him outside of church? That's not to say you can't fix that. So now we made the cut. We're going to sew you up, stitch you back up. We're not going to leave you bleeding. We're going to stitch you back up. You can change that. But you will not change what you don't even know is going on. If you don't know something is a problem, you can't fix the problem. Then the other side of that is you can know something is a problem and ignore the problem. Now, I'm going to tell you when you can't ignore the problem, when that problem starts to be a problem. Meaning... You know that you don't invest much time in your relationship with God. Then you have a situation that arises and you need to find the peace of God. You need to access the power of God. This is a situation that requires, that challenges your faith in God. 
So now you have a problem when you when you chose not to fix your issue of not spending time with God, because the faith is not going to be there because it only says that it comes one way. By hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if you don't spend time around God, when you need to 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 apply your faith to something, it's not going to be there. Pastor, that's a negative confession. No, that's a biblical fact. If faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, you don't spend time hearing God's word. That's what that is. That's what that is. I'm going to end with this. To the disciples and to the early church and to some, some of us, amen, to some of us, this whole concept, it means something. And I'm going to tell you why. Theologians, through their studies, uh, have taught that a large majority of the disciples, uh, that their belief in Christ cost them their life. You don't die for something that you don't believe in. We can read in the scriptures about Paul saying how he got beaten and thrown in the jail. You don't keep teaching something. And at a certain point, there's, there's, a, there's something that, uh, another thing that has to do with jail, and I'm going to keep equating jail to church. I don't know if it fits, but this sermon it do. Okay. But it's a jailhouse snitch. So what the jailhouse snitch does, or the snitch, if they offer you less time, or if they make it easier on you, you will say whatever they want you to say to get to make it easier on you. Now, obviously, the disciples didn't fit this category because they would not say whatever they wanted it to say to make it easier on them. No. They would not deny their faith so that it would be easier on them. You don't do that for something that's not real. If it wasn't real to them, they would not have taken that stance. They wouldn't have lived the way that they lived if it wasn't real. If they were not invested, they wouldn't have lived that way. You inconvenience yourself by something that you really believe is real. I was having a jolly time in and out of the strip clubs and the nightclubs. I make five, I was 21 years old, making about, you know, five, making five from five to nine thousand dollars a week. Back, you know, this was in 94, 95, 21, no college. I'm talking about the check coming at one time. Breaking the law. And then you go, man, you know what it's like? You know how many people would like to go into the nightclub with five or ten thousand, fifteen thousand dollars in their pocket? You talking about can have a time. And you're young and you're stupid. So you think that's living. It took something real big for me to let that go. Huh? Oh, something real big had to come along. You don't just let that go. If you're stupid enough to think that's the goal. And you hit the goal. And you step into the nightclub and they're announcing your name. that You, you know, hundreds of people inside of there. Such and such is in the house. Send me a drink from the bar. Oh, I was a star. At 21, I was a star. 
Take the kids to the toy store. They come out. It wasn't even Christmas. Power wheels rolling out the door. There's people like, is this somebody's birthday? No, it's not. It's just Monday. Amen. It's just a Monday. And so to me at 21, stupid. It is it. Hey, I'm not giving that up. She couldn't talk me into giving it up. I liked her. But she couldn't talk me into giving that up. No, you, uh-uh. no, 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 no. Not for you. I won't give this up for you. But y'all already know what I'm fixing to do. But there was that one day when he touched me. Oh, he touched me. You don't give that up as a 21-year-old for something that you do not believe as is real. You don't give up things that have given advice for 15 years if for something that you don't believe is real. You listen, you do not follow Christ with a passion unless you believe that it is real. Unless you believe that it is real. And when you believe that it's real, it will inconvenience your life. And I don't have to get up here and make long speeches to tell you that something that you should have already read about and studied yourself when it's time to give offerings. When it's time to bring the tithes. I don't have to get up here and twist your arm because you already know. But if it's not real, let them all give, let the suckers all give their money. I'm keeping mine. Yeah, put the Bible in the box. Good one. Good, good point for that. Throw the Bible back in the box. Something happened. So I just, I never got to my message today. This is still my introduction, but I, I won't hurt y'all. Something happened on that day when Jesus Christ was born that we ignore and do not live out on a daily basis. There was a big hoopla on the day that Jesus was born surrounding that time. There was turmoil. There was excitement. There was all kind of things going on when he was born because there was something significant that happened when he was born. I got five minutes. I'm going to read this one scripture. Turn to Luke chapter 2. But we reduced that to a manger scene in our front yard when it should be the manger scene playing out in your heart. Luke chapter 2. Verse 8. Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 11. This is Luke chapter 2 is the Christmas story. So it reads, Luke chapter 2, 8 through 11, says, And there was in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. So here is a big to do. God sends an angel to make a big announcement. And it says that the glory of God came with the angel to make this announcement. Glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. So he uses 
Two significant words, good and great. Something significant is going to happen. And it's not that Walmart has manger scenes on sale. They have nothing to, nothing to do with that. Good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you, now, and he's fixing to release the announcement in, in verse number 11. And the number 11 represents transition. God's announcing a change in the 11th verse. For unto you is born this day. Somebody say this day. day. In the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. I want you to understand. Jesus is the name above all names. Jesus Christ, they both go together. But Christ was not Jesus' last name. And in this reading here, in this scripture, they said, unto you is born in the city of David, a savior, which is Christ, the Lord. Hallelujah. Christ is the anointed one. The word anointed means the burden removing, yoke destroying power of God. So what the angel said is that today, what was promised to you in Isaiah chapter 61 that was spoken of in Isaiah 10, 27, that everybody has prophesied that today is born to you the power of God that God wants to send to live on the inside of you that will remove and destroy any yokes and burdens that you may ever encounter in your life. Hallelujah. God's promised deliverer was born in a manger in the form of a baby today. Yes, the baby in the flesh is important. But the flesh got Adam and Eve in trouble in the first place. He wants you to take a note of the spiritual force that came to life that day. Jesus Christ lived 33 years to release what God sent to him in the flesh, in the spirit to all of us. That will do the same thing that it did for him, the same thing it did for the disciples. It'll do for you. The anointing was born on that day. The burden removing, yoke destroying power of God was born on that day. So now Jesus lives 33 years. What's the significance of this whole thing? Jesus is not here walking around with us right now, but he left us something. Jesus, the man, came to deliver the gift of the anointing of Christ. Jesus came to bring us the gift of Christ. He was willing to come and bring us this burden removing, yoke destroying power of God that God says that, that, that should be at work in you. But we leave it on the pews every week. Living a powerless life, a religious life, but not one that God needs us to do to bring people to glory. And so this is what we'll pick up this from. We'll pick this up next week. Christmas is not about jingle bells. It's not about Christmas carols. It's not about lights and garner. It's not about Christmas trees. It's not about cold weather and hot chocolate. It's about the anointing being born into the world for all people. 
the burden-removing, yoke-destroying power of God that he sent to be able to live inside of every person that would accept him as Savior. That is the best Christmas gift that can ever be given. There is nothing greater than you can ever receive in your life than the gift of Christ. The gift of the anointing. The gift of the anointing. I want you to stand on your feet with me right now. The gift. If you continue to read the rest of chapter 2, it talks about the high priest. Can't remember his name. Started with a G. Was it Gamaliel? Gamaliel? Yeah. And it talked about another woman who's, who's, who was a prayer warrior. How God blessed them to be able to live to see Jesus be born. Now, I, I, would, I would bet money if I was a bet man, that Jesus was a cute baby. I would bet he was a cute baby. I, I would bet that if the Gerber people saw him, they would, they would pick him to be on the, on, the, on the cover, on the label of the jar. I would bet he was cute. But that ain't why they was excited. They understood that God promised deliverance. God promised a way back to him. And this baby is the one that came to bring it. And they were excited about that. They were excited about the real reason that we celebrate Christmas. And man is trying to hit us over the head with Black Friday and Blue Monday and Purple Saturday. But it's not about all of that. It's about that baby bringing that gift to you that will make you unstoppable. That's why we say that in our confession. I can't be stopped and I won't be stopped. Well, who are you? You're no one without Christ. But with Christ, you're an unstoppable force. Right. You're an unstoppable force. Jesus was an unstoppable force, but did he encounter trouble? He encountered trouble. But when you got the unstoppable force on the inside of you, trouble cannot overcome you. It'll try to. The Bible says no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Then say the weapons won't be formed. We can't leave this on the pews. This is where your victory is. If your life is, if, if you have something missing or broken in any, any aspect of your life, it's because you don't understand this piece. The Lord himself, the Father himself sent you a package in Jesus. The Bible says that the seed of everything that God made was inside of itself. So what did God do? God sent you a seed in the form of a baby. That's why Jesus had to die because the seed had to be put into the ground and broken so that it could bring forth that that it came to deliver. So it could bring to you, bring you to be what he wanted you to be. There was no upper room experience. There was no release. The anointing of the Holy Ghost was so important we Pentecostals in here, right? Yes. The anointing of the Holy Ghost is so important, he told the disciples, don't you start this movement without it. Go into that upper room and you wait as long as it takes for it to come. Don't you start this movement without it. And he sent the presence of the Holy Ghost, the Bible says, that came down the cloven tongues of fire, 
They spoke in other tongues and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. That infilling of the Holy Spirit is this receiving of this burden removing yoke destroying power of God. Now some people 